Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello, my name is Neil Selwyn and in this episode of Meet the Education Researcher, I'm talking with Dr Melissa Barnes. Melissa is a lecturer at Monash University and she joined us after a long career working around the world as a teacher. Her work covers a range of topics, starting from her PhD in the area of language, literacy and assessment. More recently, she's moved into topics such as sustainability education, teacher quality and education policy. So to start off with then, how would Melissa describe the central themes of her research and writing? If I was going to describe it, I'd be thinking about dominating structures. And, and what I mean by dominating structures, I'm, I'm very much drawn to things like high stakes assessment or curriculum or policies. And in particularly how these kind of dominating structures um, you know, what the relationship with these structures are with actual the classroom, you know, and, and teachers and students. So, and how, how they impact on the classroom. And I think that's primarily because, you know, my own experience as a, as a student and then a teacher, but how we have these, these structures that navigate very, very much our lives. And, and, but we don't always see the impact. We often see the impact in, in numbers, but we don't often know the voices and hear the voices of, of people that are impacted by these these various structures. So, I mean, the thing that springs to mind immediately is policy. Yes, and I think that's been growing. I think I, I, I started off with assessment and really it was an interest in, in high stakes assessment and particularly language assessment mm. and how language assessment becomes um, a gatekeeper and and how people have a purpose. There's a purpose of an assessment, but it's often misused and there's consequences for these different assessments and it's interpreted in various ways. So I think um, that's kind of, that what that's what really drew me into research, to be honest, was this idea of, of assessment. From that, I've kind of, I've been drawing more into policy sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. And, um, which has been interesting. I didn't necessarily, I, I don't think I, that defined me early on, but I, I see myself going in that direction. So let's go back to your doctoral research then. You mentioned the kind of language learning assessment, and this was an investigation of the washback of TOEFL, internet-based testing in English language programs in Vietnam. Now, there's a lot of acronyms there. So, I mean, first of all, what's um, TOEFL? And actually, come to think of it, what do you mean by washback? Okay, so your first question about the TOEFL, um, it's an English language test. So we have something here in Australia that's often used in the UK and Australia, which is the IELTS. And it's a test that particularly for entry into, into university, you have to take a test. And basically, it's a gatekeeper. So who has the academic language skills to be able to have success in the classroom in a university setting? So we have a similar thing in the States, and it's used in, in the States and Canada, called the TOEFL. Now, originally, the TOEFL was um, just writing and reading and listening. And it received quite a bit of um, critique because, you know, there was no speaking and so on. So there was kind of some changes. And, and one of the things that they did was they, they completely changed the test. And then they also created, they, um, they had it um, online. Okay. So, for example, if you were a student in Vietnam, you would be talking to a computer. So I think the thing that interests me about this is I was living in Vietnam at the time. So mm. I lived in Vietnam for five years in a place that most students would not have a home computer. So computer literacy in general is not very high. 
um, definitely not in the classrooms. And so now you're taking many of these students, their kind of future is framed by the idea of trying to go overseas for study. And now the test that they normally had taken was a paper-based test, now is internet-based. And with all these different things that are supposed to, you know, it was claimed that it was supposed to bring all the best practices of language teaching. So again, I think this is where my research kind of fits in is these, these ideas, these, there's these structures that are designed in a particular way and a certain purpose. But when it's actually implemented, it doesn't, it doesn't always, yeah. you know, work out that way. And what ended up happening, particularly in my research, was that I was looking at washback. So the second question was washback. And the idea is washback is the idea of how does something like a test influence teaching and learning? So what is the impact of something like this major test on teaching and learning? Mm. So I was wanting to find out, did this test change the way teachers taught? So in, in Vietnam, tend to have more traditional ways of teaching, which again, it's in itself, we say traditional because it's, it's not West, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. we have these Western yeah. conceptions of what, you know, what teaching should be like. But in the classroom, they had certain ways to do it. So the idea of this test was that they were going to change the way people taught. And what I found out is that teachers didn't. I did a lot of observations, interviews, and teachers taught the same way that they, they always did, but they just changed the content of what they taught. So the idea and the purpose of this test was to, to you know, revolutionize, revolutionize people's pedagogies, but it actually just, you know, fulfilled the aim of, of the goal of passing a test. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, now talking about dominating structures, you, you said they introduced the internet based yeah. test. Who were they? Well, there would be, in this, in this case, there's the educational testing um, system, which is a big um, independent company. And they do things like SAT and they're, you know, so they're US whole, based. Yes, US based. Ultimately, here is a very powerful company that creates these assessments. Um, not like, I mean, there's, there's quite a few of these companies. Um, and because the US in particular is very much based, I mean, psychometric testing is, is quite integral to, to education in general. So they use these and, and there's, there's obviously a design. And I'm not saying that high stakes tests don't have their place. I think that they do, but their purpose is often kind of misunderstood and there's consequences for this misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah. But it's that kind of that tension between what it's designed for and then how it's locally implemented. And I think that happens whether it's high stakes testing, it's policies, curriculum and so on. It's it's that tension between those two things. So you just mentioned consequences. So when you say nothing really changed in the classrooms, presumably there were consequences of this online test. It's just that they didn't have the consequences that were kind of intended. Well, I think, and that's when we talk about washback in regards to positive or negative washback. Mm. So, and I think that's the thing is that sometimes, and, and it was quite interesting because actually, if you look at the literature on washback, defining positive washback is very much based on Western views of teaching. So yeah, yeah. If, if there's positive, you know, if there's group work and these sorts of things and it's positive washback, then the test has actually had a, a very good influence on teaching and learning, which is quite interesting because there were, there were a lot of students who were very capable who may not have been in a class that, that resulted in this positive washback, but they were still able to, to pass the test. Yeah, yeah. So there's these real kind of cultural conceptions as well that were, that were in play. Now, the cultural conceptions brings me on to the very specific context of Vietnam. So, I mean, to what extent were your findings very specific to Vietnam? To what extent was transferable to other kind of Asian contexts? I mean, was this a Vietnamese study or do you think you found stuff that traveled? Ultimately, yes, it was contextualized within Vietnam. So I can't necessarily say it does, you know, go across, but I would say that there would be similar kind of themes in regards to, um, and particularly that that idea that there's there's a lot of approaches to learning and particularly in language learning that do kind of 
you know, um, evolve from, you know, US or Australia or UK context. And then are tried to, you know, they're they're implemented elsewhere and and not really kind of owned by the country. And mm. that becomes very problematic. So I think that there'd be very similar things with Asian context, but I'm very careful to kind of say that, you know, Vietnam, if you're from Vietnam and you're from China, there's going to be similar sorts of things. But I do think that that tension between having these kind of Western approaches and then trying to to put it within a different context, in an Asian context, you know, there's going to be tension there. Was there any kind of practical or theoretical or methodological um, experiences that you had doing the PhD that you weren't really expecting or were kind of surprising? Well, I think um, because I had lived there, and I actually came to Australia from Vietnam to do to do my doctorate. So actually, it was a very familiar place, and probably in that in, in that situation, I felt very comfortable. Comfortable, and I knew, and and that research was really it came out from my from my own experiences. Mm. So I felt like I was really passionate about it because I I was thinking, okay, this introduction of this test, it's ro- being rolled out in Vietnam, and so it made me think about my colleagues and the teachers that I worked with um, and the students that I had. And I thought, how is this going to, to influence? So I think that helped. But I think always the difficulty is that, you know, I would go for a certain amount of time, yeah, but yeah. I wasn't actually there all the time. So I, I, d- I got a snapshot, you know, of, of what was happening in the classroom. It wasn't over, you know, years. Now, <laughs> so. you've not spent your career then continually researching online testing. You've moved on to a whole bunch of other stuff. What other topics have you kind of moved on to since looking at EFL and testing? I mean, and also why have you chosen these topics? Have you ruthlessly planned your career or is it all serendipity? Well, you see, I think that's the thing is I, I would like to say that I'm very strategic, but I'm not at all. And I, <laughs> um, I think part of that, and I think that's me being true to myself is that, you know, it, I've kind of had an interesting journey because I, I came into research because I saw myself as, a, as an educator and I wanted to be a, a teacher educator. Right. And so research and doing my my doctorate was a way to do that. Yep. But over the last few years, that's really changed. And I think I've definitely developed my my identity. And there was one point where it was like research was something quite scary for me and thinking yeah. like, well, I'm really strong at teaching, but research is just something I have to do. And I think and I think that's I've taken quite a bit of confidence in that, you know, I have developed and I'm I'm growing I'm growing in, in my my identity as a researcher. Um, but in that, there has been a bit of, you know, me investigating lots of different lines of inquiry. But I think one of the things that, you know, being true to myself is that I want to research things that I'm interested in. Yeah. And, I, and I also think I want to do things that matter for me. And I think that's why, you know, if you look at my research, I've, l- I've looked at things like migrants and and their experiences here in Australia and reconstructing their own identities and and being able to, I guess, you know, if we're talking about structures, we put it in a different way, but how they they navigate navigate all these different things to to gain their own. And this is where, you know, Bourdieu has come in looking at, you know, gaining their own cultural and social capital. Um, but on the other side, you know, I've done some work in in environmental sustainability, and that's been kind of a, you know, way off in the left field. But it's been interesting because, you know, in many ways, it's something that we know is really important. We, we see all these things with the UN and, and we, we, we say in the curriculum that this is such a priority. We go to the classroom and that's not always what we see. Yeah. And I think those are the things where I want, I want to explore those things. And so I, I think that's where I, I do kind of get distracted with lots of different things. But I think ultimately it's about things that I, I come in every day and I think I'm really interested in finding out. And these are things that. that you've noticed during the course of your teaching and your kind of teacher education work. They're kind of problems that just present themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think the um, environmental education came as an opportunity. So I was approached um, by a Department of Education out here in Victoria, but a different state territory. 
And because I was more assessment based and it was an evaluation of a program. And so I was approached, but I didn't have any background in environmental education. So, and this was a great kind of opportunity because I was able to kind of work with some other people within that, where that's their area. But in that it's become very interesting, obviously in an area that I didn't necessarily, I would have never placed myself with within, but something that I found very, very interesting. Now, just to backtrack for folk listening, thinking, I wish I was approached by a Department of Education to do some research. How do you think that opportunity came about? Because they didn't just randomly ask you, did they? No, it's relationships. I, I had a, a good friend who ended up being um, in the department and she knew me and, um, and this opportunity came up and she thought of me. So I think that's where I meant relationships really come to play. Well, there's a lot going on already. My final question would be, what would you really want to be doing? If I gave you a million dollars, what would be your dream research project? Okay, that's a really hard one. Um, to be honest, I think I would probably, um, I, mean, I, I, I find it fascinating to look at policy, but it's, um, you know, if I'm talking about impact, right. I think I would probably be doing something within the migrant refugee area. Um, and part of that, and I think there's still policy sorts of things. Another project that I'm, I'm working on is looking at discussions about changing the policy for binding migration in so migrants coming in and refugees coming in binding them to regional areas um, which is a really interesting kind of thing because you're taking what many would classify as disadvantaged people and putting them in, in disadvantaged areas and yeah. there's not a lot of choices so I think if I had a million dollars I'd be looking at, at something in that regard because I feel like there's some there's a humanitarian part of it well you might as well give a million dollars to the people living in the community <laughs> well, to I could do that too <laughs> <laughs> well excellent well thanks ever so much for taking the time to talk it's been genuinely interesting to catch up with you good luck thank you